And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Ready to form Voltron! This is a job for Superman. Power Rangers! Right away, Michael. Autobots, transform! By the power of Grayskull! For the honors of Grayskull! I'm the Doctor. And welcome to Charlie's GeekCast. I am your host, Charlie Neymar. And once again, we are returning to the Bronze Age of Superman to take a look at another Superman comic book. This time going back to September 1974. So I'm going to play a quick promo. And when we come back, we'll take a look at the issue. Charlie's GeekCast will return after these promos. My name is Michael Bailey, and I like Superman. Like, a lot. Like, he's my favorite character. I like him so much that I have podcasted about the Man of Steel more than any other character. Back in 2017, I started a show called It All Comes Back to Superman to serve as the monthly reaffirmation of my Kryptonian faith. Well, the monthly thing hasn't worked out, but I'm hoping to change that in 2020. This year, there will be at least one episode a month of the show, and most of those will be part of a series I'm calling Superman is for Everybody. Superman is for Everybody springs from my desire to talk to people that have channeled their love and affection for the character into other avenues, like cosplay, or podcasting, or academia. New episodes will drop in the first or second week of the month, with special episodes popping up at random because that's how I roll, apparently. It all comes back to Superman as part of the Fortress of Bailytube podcasting network, which can be found at www.fortressofbailytube.com. The show is available through Apple Podcasts, the Google Play Store, and it's even on Spotify. It all comes back to Superman. Because really, it does. Give me a few minutes and I'll make the connection. Why are you walking away? I'm not done talking to you yet. We now return to Charlie's Geekcast. Rocketed as a baby from the exploding planet Krypton, Kal-El grew to manhood on Earth, whose yellow sun and lighter gravity gave him fantastic superpowers. In the city of Metropolis, he's known as mild-mannered TV newsman Clark Kent, but battles evil all over Earth and beyond as Superman. Today's issue that we're going to be looking at is Superman number 282, which had a cover date of December 1974. 
and an on-sale date of September 17, 1974, and a cover price of 20 cents. The cover depicts Superman on top of what looks like, what appears to be a jet, flying way high in the sky, as he throws a man off of the plane, and the guy falling says, Superman's gone mad! Instead of arresting me, he's killing me! And he looks pretty scared about it. It's sort of like what we're going to see inside. It's a little off, but it's pretty. the scene kind of happens inside the book. Anyway, the title of the story is Lex Luthor, Super Scalp Hunter. The story is written by Elliot S. Magan. The art is by Kurt Swan and Kurt Schaffenberger. And the editor is Julie Schwartz. One day, high over Metropolis, a completely oblivious Superman is hit by unseen, unfelt ray blasts. They were fired by Lex Luthor from the roof of a presumably tall building, and thus, Lex's latest scheme has begun. Sometimes later, a younger-looking Clark Kent enters the Daily Planet city room and bursts into Perry White's office, demanding a job, similar to how it happened ten years earlier. Thinking this is some kind of a joke, Perry decides to play along, telling him that in order to prove he's good enough, he'll have to get an exclusive interview with Superman since he's been showing up in Metropolis a lot more lately. Accepting the challenge, Clark heads out and soon runs into Steve Lombard and the current girl he's trying to impress. Standing in front of a counter, Steve sneakily attaches the back of Clark's suit jacket to the counter that they're standing in front of so that when Clark begins to walk away, the jacket rips. Now, I don't know if that's supposed to happen since these suits are supposed to be... I mean, they're supposed to withstand friction so you can move at super speed without wrecking everything, so I don't know if the fabric should be doing that. I don't know. Anyway, while Clark is confused why a guy he doesn't even know would pull a prank on him, Steve begins to get paranoid, just waiting for the payback that he always gets when messing with Clark. Meanwhile, Clark, forgetting about the prank, heads off to write his Superman article, while Steve checks into his office and looks for booby traps. Elsewhere, Lex sends some goons out to hijack a passenger jet. But fortunately, Clark manages to spot the disturbance and changes to Superman. Two would-be hijackers parachute out of their small plane to land on the big one. One manages to land and actually falls through the fuselage and into the plane. How he stops, I have no idea. And Superman catches the second one and throws him down towards the ground, hence the cover. Meanwhile, Superman enters the plane, grabs the first hijacker, and then flies down and catches the second one before he can hit the ground. Watching all of this from his command base, Luther is happy to see that his ray worked. By making Superman younger, the hero is more brash and impulsive. He also doesn't have the experience to defeat an older, more mature Lex. Excitedly, Lex has his aides suit him up in his new battle array, a purple and green super suit with green gauntlets, green belts, and purple boots. Taking to the sky, Lex heads off to challenge the younger Superman in order to obtain his scalp. After he finishes dropping off the hijackers with the police, Superman is greeted by a big light show in the sky, and an image of Lex Luthor challenging him, the young Superman to a duel in the skies over Metropolis. Heading further up into the sky, Superman is surprised when he slams into an impenetrable Omega barrier, much like the one used by Brainiac, whom the younger Superman has not actually met yet. Using yet another ray from his glove, Superman is hit by a gravity caster, causing him to plummet to the ground and slowly start to sink into it. Somehow, also removing Superman's immunity to pain, Luthor starts hitting Superman with his pain-inducing glove, causing him to sink even faster. As Lex begins to remove Superman's scalp, the young Man of Steel points out that they are so far down now that the combination of Earth's gravity and Superman's gravity prevents Luthor from being able to fly away. Rather than burn to death due to the heat of the Earth's core, he gives Superman the antidote, which ages him back to his proper age. 
Wrapping Luther in his cape, Superman manages to change his angle of descent enough to intercept a belt of molten rock, allowing the, the flow of the lava to force them back to the surface and out through the mouth of an underwater volcano. Then he tosses Luther out of the cape, destroying the delicate balance of the gadgets in Luther's suit, which frees Superman from the gravity ray and the pain inducer. Superman then grabs Luther and returns him to prison. Later at WGBS, Steve, still worried about repercussions from his prank earlier, heads to the studio for the 6 o'clock news, and notes that he's caught his pant leg in the corner of the hall. He's not too worried about it, though, since no one will actually see his pant legs on air, because, you know, he's sitting down, he's got the desk blocking it. But as Lois enters the building, Steve hits on her, and she comments on his pants, causing him to look down and notice that his pants have unraveled almost all the way up to his belt, showing off his Steve Lombard boxer shorts. While he's actually glad that something finally happened to him, Clark is around the corner holding a ball of thread and smiling. Alright, that's that's a weird story. Alright, let's let's first off, let's look at the cover. Now, this is one of those covers that has the character acting way out of character or something that could change the whole status quo because you know it looks like he's gonna kill somebody. I mean, this reminds me of some of those crazy covers that makes you just go, what the heck is going on? Like like in the Silver Age, that would show like Superman buried in some ancient tomb, or, or even better, that one where um, a haggard, bearded-looking guy that looks like Clark, complete with the glasses and a shredded suit, uh, busts into the Daily Planet office and says that the Clark that they know is actually Superman in disguise, and he's got that ray gun that he shoots at his chest and reveals that it's like a it's like an X-ray blaster or something, and shows the Superman S underneath and claims that Superman kidnapped him and took his identity. You know, stuff like that that makes you want to go, I want to read that. This is actually one of those covers. And the guy that's falling looks scared to death. It, uh, Nick Carty is one of those artists that's really good with the facial expressions. All right, looking through the book, page one is pretty interesting because it's technically the splash page, but it's it's the part starting of the story. There's three panels here. Uh, it's Lex Luthor shooting the beam, Superman getting hit by the beam, and then Lex walking away, wringing his hands. In, with a frown and a smile at the same time. Now, he's still in his prison grays here, as he normally wears when he gets out of prison. So this is the last we'll see of that. Uh, page two. Now, Clark seems to be acting out of character here. Now, I don't know if there was an, a specific story that shows this moment. I mean, I, I've seen stories that kind of flash back to it, but outside of Superman or Action 1, no, Superman 1, I don't think that they've actually shown this in real time. So, he does act really weird here. Even for... Now, I can understand being younger and acting brash and immature. Fine. But, at the same time, we are reading... We have a Superboy book that's out. And he does not act like this in the Superboy book. Now, granted, now here, he's probably about 19, 20, something like that. And in the Superboy book, at this time, he's probably about 15, 16, I believe. And he acts more mature in the Superboy book than he does here. It's just the character's wrong. Now, maybe if that Ray also messed with his, you know, his brain a little bit, maybe. But they don't say that. All right, uh, page three. I think I've already mentioned the uh, thing with the jacket. I do love the fact, though, that Steve is paranoid here. And it's just waiting for something to happen. And it's driving him nuts that nothing has happened to him yet. Uh, page four. Now, if you've read the Elliot S. Magan novels, 
Last Son of Krypton, a Miracle Monday. I don't, I'm trying to remember if they mentioned this stuff in the Last Son of Krypton. I think it's mentioned in Miracle Monday, but I could be wrong. It could be in Last Son of Krypton. They mentioned that Lex Luthor has this whole other operation that he does uh, that goes on even when he's in prison. Uh, he's got people hired. He's got money coming in because of stuff he does with the stock markets and stuff and uh, selling patents on inventions he comes up with. So he's never actually robbing, robbing to get the money. He's robbing to get Superman. At least that's how it's explained there. This seems to be a glimpse into some of that. I mean, we've got these guys that are working with this humongous computer with a giant screen that normally you would not see. Uh, it's, the floor's got this compass-looking thing, and it has an LL there. I mean, this looks like a big operation. Granted, there's only three people working there, but it looks like a really big operation. And I don't know, this, this is probably the first glimpse, first hint of that, maybe the first thought that Megan had that Lex would have something like this. Also, speaking of this, on this page, I like the fact that there's a the screen is showing this airplane that we're going to see in a little bit, and it's a it's a square, but the screen itself is a circle, and the shadowing on the edges because it's kind of you know like a TV screen, old school TV screen, has some darkness, but there's like kind of half circles of light. It's hard to explain. I'll, I'll uh, the this page will be in the show notes. It's really cool. I want, when you, if you uh, go to the actual show notes at the website, charliesgeekcast.com, make sure you look at that because it's kind of cool that they did that. I like that. It's Maybe it's just me being artsy. I don't know. Anyway, all right, so we're looking at page five, and there's the two hijackers. Now, one falls right through the roof of the plane. I want to know what stops them from falling all the way through the plane and out the other end. Knowing Luther, it's somehow programmed into something, but they don't explain it. It's just... It's just kind of weird. But I do like that Superman catches the second guy and then throws him. Now, Kurt Swan's pretty good with facial expressions, too. So is Kurt Schaffenberger. But I have to say, the guy that, that has, is being thrown down here on page six does not look anywhere near as scared as the guy on the cover. Also, I like on the second panel of page six, uh, where Superman's opening the door to get into the plane. Now, I know it's probably not meant to be this way, but Superman's kind of in a reverse angle of the pose he has on Superman number one, or that George Perez draws on Action Comics 643, the, the flying where he's floating in the sky. I mean, it, he's standing on the plane, and part of it looks like it's hidden by the door, although it looks like it's just a coloring error, because I can see his other foot now, which, if you notice the other foot, kind of screws up the idea. But anyway, it looks pretty cool. All right, so page seven. This is the big reveal. This Part of the reason I wanted to cover this is because I never read this story before. And I was hoping for something big. But this is a big deal. Lex Luthor gets a costume. He will retain this costume for the rest of, uh, well, till about 1983-84 when he gets the armor. This is his purple and green jumpsuit, basically. It's got a bunch of little doodads. It's got little rocket boots and all sorts of gadgets that he can use to take down Superman. Uh, it's the costume you see him wearing in Super Friends, uh, the challenge of the Super Friends specifically. So it's going to be a pretty big deal, pretty iconic thing. And the fact that they introduce it here in such a weird story kind of is disappointing. Plus, I believe this is the introduction of Luther's love for purple and green, which will stay with him into the present. All right, so page eight, they're mentioning that Luther's going to get Superman's scalp for a hairpiece. I don't understand that. I'm going to get more into that later. But they actually have a thought bubble showing Luther with a super with Superman's hair, 
And it just looks like a grimacing Superman. Apparently, Lex and Superman look very similar when they have the same hair. I find it interesting, though, that the way to cure cure Superman of the Ray is to make him take a couple pills. Really weird. Now, here's the other problem I have. Okay, we're on page 12. So Superman stops himself. Not really stops himself. He changes the angle of his fall by grabbing part of the rock. Uh, and then ends up in the lava flow. Now, if his gravity is pulling him to the center of Earth, I wouldn't think the lava flow would actually push him forward. I would think he would just kind of sink through the lava. I mean, he's going through rock. If he can go, th- if he can be pulled through rock, he can be pulled through lava. So this probably doesn't work. Uh, I mean, it's it's a cool super feat, but it probably shouldn't be working. And then, of course, we have uh, the final page where Lombard has his shorts showing. They his boxer shorts, by the way, say Steve Lombard, champion swinger. Not Slinger, because he used to be slinging St- Steve Lombard when he played football. But no, Champion Swinger. Now, I'm not sure how Clark exactly has caused this. But, okay. At least he's got it all balled up in a ball so that uh, you know he can show it to Steve later. Anyway, so that's it for the main part of the story. Now, overall, I was pretty disappointed with this one. I don't know if you could tell. Uh, Clark acts way out of character, like I mentioned, from his Superboy days. I mean, Superboy acts more mature than this than this version. Uh, and but he still manages to outsmart the mature, the more mature Luther. Speaking of him, this is a terrible plan. All right, so he's going to scalp Superman for his hair. Now, first off, it's a bad idea anyway. Just scalping someone that makes this Lex Luthor a lot more bloodthirsty than ever before. Two, they insinuate that this is because of getting back at Superboy for Lex's hair loss. And I'm telling you, people, and it will be revealed. This might be the first time that Magan writes Luther. I don't remember. but So maybe I can forgive it there. But Magan really gets into Luther later on. Luther's evilness, or going bad, or whatever, is there's a lot more to it than just... The fact that his hair fell out. The reason for the fire that caused his hair to fall out, or whatever, uh, was that he was creating protoplasmic life. Can you imagine what would have happened if Lex had gotten the rec- had been able to show that off and get the recognition he deserved for doing that scientific breakthrough? And then it was destroyed by Superboy. And by when Superboy blew out the fire and knocked over the chemicals that destroyed the proto- the, his, the little life form and caused the hair to, Lex's hair to fall out. That's a byproduct. Now, after that, Lex is then shunned by everybody because of, well, one, because of his lack of hair, and two, I don't even know why else he got shunned. But he got shunned by everybody. That's enough to drive you nuts any, also. So you combine the two because he would have been praised he maybe won the nobel prize gotten a ton of money he'd be a hero for the scientific breakthrough and instead he's being shunned by the world that is what caused him to be a bad guy not the hair falling out that was just a byproduct he may have said that that was part of it but that's not the reason come on and Magan knows this he has written an, he, well he will know this Maybe this is because this is one of his first times and he just didn't quite get the character quite yet. So maybe I'll let it go. But still, 
Then, uh, someone as smart as Luther and mature as Luther would have known that the combination of Earth and Superman's gravity would keep him from being able to fly out of the hole that Superman had created. Granted, you could say that this was all a physical thing. Lex Luthor wants to be the one to hit, knock the final blow. He wants to get his punches in because usually he can't. And now he's got these gloves that let him do it. And Superman's got, uh, got the pain thing. His, his immunity to pain has been removed, so it's going to hurt him. Uh, he doesn't usually get to do that outside of a red plant, red sun planet. So maybe you could say that. But he had to get that close anyway. This was all part of the plan in order to cut off Superman's scalp, which he starts to do. But one, doesn't hurt Superman, apparently, and two, doesn't work. If that's the case, then what the heck happens with this plan? This is a terrible plan. On the other hand, though, the art is really good here. Now, it's Kurt Swan bringing his A-game. He's got some cool layouts. Most of it's your regular square panels and stuff. But like I said, that first page is all triangles and angled. It looks really cool. And I just think... The art looks great here. The, the inks are done by Kurt Schaffenberger, who normally is a penciler himself. Uh, and it works here. He's not my favorite Kurt Swan inker. Okay. And I also find it ironic because the part of the reason why he inks the last part of Whatever Happened to Man of Tomorrow is because Julie Schwartz said they'd never worked together, despite them working together a year before on the uh, Superman The Secret Years miniseries and here and in a couple other issues. So... We're going to look past all that, but they they meld together pretty well. Uh, they're not to my liking exactly, but it looks pretty, pretty good. So if you ask me, and if you're listening to this, you kind of have. Now, the backup story in this issue is a fabulous world of Krypton story. I will summarize it very quickly. Supergirl apparently, and I haven't checked this, but apparently is contemplating giving up being supergirl to have a normal life she dream she thinks it's gonna that by giving up her supergirl identity she can have a regular life with a husband and kids and a house and all this stuff so superman tells her the story of a guy named namek who i believe i mentioned when i covered the phantom zone miniseries years ago but i don't remember now namek he was a scientist on krypton as is the thing apparently on that planet and all he wanted to do was keep doing his scientific studies, but he didn't have time to do his scientific studies. So he wanted immunity to death or became, become immortal so that he would have time to just sit there and enjoy it, not have to worry about pain, hunger, anything. But in order to do that, he has to steal the horns off of a, off of a creature known as the Rondor. These things stink to high heaven, but people would be taken to them and... The, something about their horns would heal them a healing ray or whatever so he figured that he could make some elixir out of their horns but hunting and killing a rondor was very illegal in order to make this elixir he has to kill two of them so he is on the run from the police he makes the elixir and it works however when he takes it it actually turns him into a human rondor basically a rondor is a big creature that's purple and has it looks like it has a big blue shell and has a horn i say purple it could be magenta it's hard to tell in these comics anyway what happens to him is his skin turns gray but he turns into a human looking rondor complete with a horn but it works he is immortal but because of the whole killing the rondors thing he has to go hiding and he's in isolation for 
I want to say it was 500, could be 5,000 years, something like that. Uh, he makes all these discoveries and scientific breakthroughs, but he can't tell anyone about them. This kind of goes into the Luther thing now that I think about it. Anyway, so he can't tell anyone about them, and it's driving him a little crazy with the um, being stuck by himself for all this time. So he goes out to see people, and they're scared of him. One, because of the smell, and two, because he looks like a monster. So he decides he's going to fix this by creating an antidote elixir to remove the Rondorism. Now, I know what you're thinking, because I thought this too. Doesn't that mean that if he takes it, his body will start aging and he'll die real quick? Maybe. But that's not what happens in the story. See, before he can make this elixir, the planet Krypton blows up. And he survives because he's immortal. And he floats through space all alone, continuing his isolationism. Proving the point that you don't that just because you get what you want, it's not always going to be a heaven, which leaves Supergirl something to think about as she flies away. But before she leaves, she does ask Clark or Superman, how do you know what happened to him after Krypton blew up? Apparently, that's going to be a, a story for another time. But that happened. It, the art on this is by Ernie Chua or Chan, depending on which way you read it. It's actually pretty good. Unfortunately, they the printing is not that great. It, the art, the inks are all real thick and stuff. But it's pretty good art. Uh, he's, he did some covers. I think this looks a lot better than some of the covers he did for uh, later on. Uh, it's also written by Marty Pasco, who would just at this point be converting into, into a professional comic book person from a fan. Because I believe just a few years earlier, he was writing fan letters to the same titles. So that's pretty cool. All right, so let's look at the ads real quick. And boy, are there some ads. All right, so we start first with the inside cover. And it has your, is this Charles Atlas? It's not Charles Atlas, but it is a, a bodybuilding thing. Uh, so you can learn how to build yourself up. And it has the picture of this guy named Robert Nalen, who goes from a guy that actually looks pretty fit anyway. And into a guy that looks really fit. Not the best example. If you have ever seen a comic from the 70s, you've seen this ad. I would imagine it's probably in the Marvel books too. I don't know, not having read too many Marvel books that had the ads in them from the 70s. But, you know. Next is an ad for Duke. The Super Action Dog. Brought to you by Kenner and General, General Mills. And not only do you get the dog that can do all sorts of things, but... Uh, there's an adventure comic book included with most sets. Uh, the next page has an ad. The top half is for the surprise coin packet with those rare collectible coins. And the bottom half is superhero stick-ons. This ad has been in here for a long time. I think the only thing that has changed is maybe the price. Uh, the next ads page shows up after page 8. And it's another bodybuilder ad. Why be so skinny? It's that one with the comic strip of the skinny guy that gets uh, made fun of by the... Oh, no, it's not. Oh, it's a skinny guy actually asking a bodybuilder, how does it work? And he becomes a bodybuilder by the end. Uh, next is an ad page for picking up all the comic book treasury comics that you may have missed. Included on this are the first edition Action Comics treasury, the first edition Wiz Comics number one. It says number one, but I don't think he sh uh, Captain Marvel showed up until... I don't think the first issue of Wiz Comics was... I think that was three, wasn't it? Anyway... Uh, it's the first appearance of Captain Marvel. 
the Shazam one, Detective 27 first edition, Batman number one first edition, Sensation number one first edition. So you got your first appearance of Superman, Batman, Captain Marvel, Wonder Woman, and in the Batman issue, that would be the first appearance of like the Joker and Catwoman. And is that it? Maybe more? I don't remember. And then other treasuries are a Batman one, uh, a Superman one, uh, a Shazam one, Return of Tarzan, and Ghosts. So you can get all of those for a buck fifty each. Uh, it doesn't look like you're going to save anything if you buy all of them. So if you missed them before, now's your chance. Unless you're looking at this in 2020, in which case it's too late. Uh, then there's a one where you, an ad where you can get your own football jersey just like the pros where you can have your name on the back it this one always confused me because the, there's a the kid is throwing a football and it it turns out i think i figured it out that he's supposed to be wearing a sweatband in his hair he's got the long 70s kids hair uh it looks i guess it's supposed to be a sweatband but some of the hair is drawn to go over it so it looks like you're actually doing some x-ray thing and he's got a banana in his head i it's always confused me anyway uh, moving right along, after the end of the story, you have a hodgepodge ad page. Followed by uh, An Amazing World of DC Comics. And it's all about the first issue. Oh, no, it's the second issue, which features articles on the DC Comic Mobile and the Superboy TV show. What? Must have been the one that never happened. Uh, DC Comics News and so much more with, er with art by Kurt Schaffenberger, Alex Toth, Ed Whelan, and an unpublished story from the Golden Age. Plus, Carrie Bates and Elliot S. Magan are also in the issue. And that's because, and you know that's because Carrie Bates is on the cover too, telling you that. The second half is basically for subscription to Superman or to DC Comics. Next ad page is the top half is about stamps collecting. Yep. And the bottom half is another coin collection ad. Uh, then you give the DC 100 pages for only 60 cents ad. Most pages for your money. Biggest bargain in comics. What you don't know is that most of these issues are uh, reprints after you get past the main story. So you got a Detective Comics 100 page giant. Oh, it's the beginning of that storyline that they do where Jim Aparo does the, does the art for like three-fourths of it. And then the last issue is done by somebody else. And in my opinion, doesn't actually stand up as well. Uh, but it's the one where it looks like Batman has shot Talia al Ghul in the back. And so he's wanted by the police. Uh, let's see. Then there's a Sergeant Rock one. A House of Mystery one. Tarzan, Lord of the Jungle. A Brave and the Bull, which is Batman versus the Spectre. Young Love and Superman Family. Where Supergirl meets the girl with the see-through mind. And then, of course, everything else in these... All these stories are reprints, I believe. All right, and then after the letters page, you have guaranteed to triple your money in less than 30 days with, you know, selling jewelry? Yep, you're selling jewelry. Yeah, probably cheap knockoff jewelry. Your next ad page looks like it's the inside back cover, which is a hodgepodge ad. And the back cover is the Endangered Animals by Revel. 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 Uh, and it's uh, actually snap together models of animals, such as the endangered gorilla, the endangered rhino, the endangered condor, and the endangered Komodo dragon. So, yep. And they all snap together instead of needing glue. So you can, you know, take care of that. So I'm going to take a quick break. 
And uh, I'm going to leave you with our number one song, and that is I Shot the Sheriff by Eric Clapton. So I'll be that's playing us out, and when I come back, we'll take a look at some feedback. Charlie's Geekcast will return after these promos. You are about to see the first public exhibition of an entirely new form of entertainment. You are about to see... You are about to see... Because you demanded it. It's Treasury Cast, a podcast devoted to the greatest comics format of all time, the Treasury Edition. DC, Marvel, Archie, IDW, and more, bigger than life. It's the Treasury Cast, part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network, available on iTunes, Stitcher, and on fireandwaterpodcast.com. You are receiving a transmission from The Rod Pod. Upload pending. Stand by for soundtrack transfer. I am Maggie. And I am John. And we are trapped, hurtling through space in a ship shaped like Rodimus's head. The ship, for reasons we haven't been able to determine, contains the entire run of the IDW Transformers Phase 2 comic. Which chronicle the events following the end of the war between the Autobots and Decepticons. So we figure we may as well read them all in order and report our findings to you. Stand by. Stand by. Upload complete now. Pod. Look for us at marriedwcomics.libsyn.com, at iTunes, at Stitcher, or wherever good podcasts can be found. So, uh, till all are one. Till all are one. We now return to Charlie's Geekcast. All right, it's time to take a look at some feedback. First off, we have an email from Russell Bragg commenting on episode 41 which was the last time i cover comic books 
And he says, hello, Charlie. I'm glad episode two was out so quickly after episode one. I also have Superman 274, so I'm on a roll so far. Before commenting on the comic, I wanted to try to answer your one cent penny question. Why are the year 55, 58, 60 so special? As for 1955, several thousand 1955 pieces were struck with a double die and display doubling of the date. The Mint was aware of the pieces and knew they were somewhere within a large production lot, but opted to release them rather than destroy the entire lot. The variety did not become widely known until several years later. The same thing happened in 1958. As for 1960, it has something to do with the size of the date. Denver was a regular size, Philadelphia was smaller, thus more rare and more valuable. I can definitely answer your, were treasuries on the stands? Yes! My brother and I had three famous first editions, C-28, which is Detective Comics 27, C-61, which was Superman 1, and all-new Collector's Edition 62, which is Superman the Movie. I actually have that one. I didn't get it off the comic stands, but I, I do have a copy. A regular comic shop called Rex Hex didn't carry them, but we found them at a store called Hex, weird, which is a chain of West Virginia-based discount department stores. It sold clothing, garden, seasonal stuff, sporting goods, hardware, footwear, bedding, furniture, jewelry, beauty products, electronics, and housewares. This is also where we would buy a package of three comics with no covers for a dollar. Now, a few things about two, Superman 274. This was not Johnny Nevada's first comic appearance. That was in Action Comics 420. It was interesting having two signal watches. I wonder if Jimmy got jealous when he found out. He probably never found out. Lastly, in the Metropolis Air... Airbag? Wow. Lastly, in the Metropolis mailbag, I noticed one of the comments came from Oak Hill, West Virginia. I have a friend I met in college who lived there. I don't know what book you're covering next time, but I eagerly await your next episode. Thank you for keeping me entertained at work. Russell Bragg, Clarksburg, West Virginia. Well, I'm sorry for, to disappoint that we didn't co I didn't cover a book in episode 42, but uh, hopefully you'll like this one because I'm covering a book again. Uh, my next bit of feedback actually was from Dave McIlvaney who left a comment on episode 42 which is where I watched the three different versions of basically Superman versus an asteroid uh, and he writes wonderful episode thanks for this I enjoyed all three takes on the story but like you found the Superboy lost version to be the weakest as an old guy I think the George Reeves version panic in the sky to be my favorite probably because it was the first one I saw as a boy did you know that this episode was based on a story, The Menace from the Stars, in World's Finest 68, cover dated January-February 1954? So the TV episode, which aired on December 5th, 1953, could be seen while the comic was still on the stands? I did not know that. That's cool. Even though Panic in the Sky is my personal favorite, I think, objectively, the Lois and Clark version, All Shook Up, is probably the best of the three. Aside from the production standards and the longer story, I think Lane Smith's Perry White is better for this story than John Hamilton's, who was much too gruff in dealing with Clark, who was clearly in need of help. That's exactly what I was trying to get through. I don't know if I said it very well, but yes, uh, that's why I like the, Perry, the Lane Smith Perry White, at least for this episode. It, you know, for certain situations. But anyway, I want to thank... Uh, both of you guys for writing in if you if you too would like to be like russell or dave and have your emails or comments read on the air please feel free to leave a comment on the show posting at charliesgeekcast.com or send an email to charliesgeekcast at gmail.com and i will read them on the next episode after i get them anyway uh thank you all for listening i have 
I have my next few episodes planned out, but I honestly, off the top of my head right now, don't remember which one is next. So I'm go- not going to tease it. I'm just going to tell you that next time we will be, co- I will be covering a comic book. It will be Superman. So, uh, or action. So I hope you all have a great couple of weeks. Stay safe and healthy. And I will see you next time. Thank you for listening to Charlie's GeekCast. Feedback for the show can be sent to charliesgeekcast at gmail.com, or you can feel free to leave a comment at the show's posting at charliesgeekcast.com. All images and music heard on the show are copyright their respective copyright holders and are used for entertainment purposes only. No infringement is intended. Charlie's GeekCast is a proud member of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. Please be sure to stop by Two True Freaks to check out more great shows. Thank you again for listening, and good night. Good night.